You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon and SB Nation blog covering your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, joined this week by Eric Seeds. Seeds, how's it going? Merry Christmas in July. <laughs> Cheers to everyone enjoying uh, either early Great Lakes Christmas Ale or Christmas Ale they've been saving since uh, December. But either way, cheers to y'all. Uh, I'm enjoying a glass of Angel's Envy to drown my sorrows, which we will get into a little bit here. Uh, so the, both the 2022, 2023 blue jackets and the 2025, 26 blue jackets will have under contract, Patrick Line, Johnny Goudreau, Eric Goodbranson, and not Oliver Bjorkstrand. It has been that kind of two weeks since the last time we spoke with y'all. So, um, let's start with the, the biggest one there. Johnny Goudreau, he signed on the first day of free agency, shocking the hockey world, shocking us. Uh, we did shocking the a, front office. Woo, yeah, everyone was taken by surprise by this one. We did a Twitter Spaces on that night. Uh, I will post a link in the description here so you can go back and listen to that if you have not already. So that captured all of our initial reactions and excitement and all of that. Um, the more we have learned about the signing, though, um, it's still shocking to me that Johnny Goudreau signing Columbus, right? Yes, it's it's shock. Well, it is shocking 
that he chose Columbus, it's shocking that other teams who might have been in on him or could have been on in on him chose not to make moves to <laughs> be in up, on yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, mm. Excuse me. I've got something in my throat. It's like Chuck Fletcher choking on something. Um, it's uh, it's kind of shocking in that respect. So it sounds like, based on all the reporting, that he and his wife had spoken. They're obviously expecting their first child. None of this is new to anyone probably listening to this pod. But, you know, they wanted to move east. They wanted to be around family. Uh, Goudreau laid out in his um, Players Tribune piece, which I highly recommend everyone read if they have not. We can probably post a link to yep. that in the, mm-hmm. descri- in the description as well. Um about how badly his dad's heart attack affected him and he wasn't able to get home for that. And then shortly after that, there was the COVID shutdowns and he wasn't able to get across the border. His family wasn't able to get across the border to see him. So his priority was to come east and come closer to home, which put Columbus in a pretty good spot. They were they were certainly closer to home than Calgary or St. Louis, or but they're not New Jersey. They're not um, Philadelphia. Um but it sounds like he did his research. He spoke to some of the former Blue Jackets, including one of his good friends, Cam Atkinson, and they sold him on Columbus being a place him and his wife could start their family. Now, what's kind of shocking to me is that he, the Blue Jackets, apparently that day, were so focused on Eric and Branson, they had no idea. The, the front office brass themselves had no idea Gaudreau was like interested until they, like, left the good Branson meeting and they were like, Oh no, he's interested. And Yarmo himself said, Oh, we had to slap a, uh, an offer together. And then Gaudreau took it. So it kind of seems like it came out of nowhere because it kind of did like the New Jersey GM, whose name escapes me right now said that. Yeah. Uh, said that they had, uh, they thought Gaudreau was in the bag and then all of a sudden he went dark and suddenly he was in Columbus. Um, so it's kind of, it's shocking. It, It remains awesome. Um, I broke my I'm never going to buy a hockey player's jersey with a name on it again because I bought a Gaudreau jersey the next day. Um, I'm very excited that he chose Columbus. I'm very excited that he signed long-term. It's going to be a good contract. It's one of the best values for a good player in the league. Um, It's shocking, but it also kind of reinforces what we have all believed. It's like it's never really been the city that's the problem. It's always been the organization and how they are kind of managed about whether or not they can keep stars in some respects. Some players, obviously Panarin wanted uh, to live in a bigger market. Bob wanted the beach in longer term. So there's always been reasons why guys left, but this kind of puts to bed the idea that stars can't be in this city. Yeah, I think it speaks to what players' priorities are personally and what they're looking for in the city. And, you know, we talked before about how you know, if you're a player with a young family, that Columbus is a really great place to settle. And that has been appealing to a lot of players. But I think we've always looked at that more in the lens of why guys would want to stay here that were already here. But I don't know that we ever really considered that as a reason why a top free agent would choose this as a destination. Um, and, and I think it's awesome. I think it's great that we are starting to develop that reputation that people around the league, players around the league understand that Columbus has that reputation, that if you're looking for a quiet place, um, a place with good suburbs, good schools, good golf, um, that this has what you're looking for. You know, if you don't need to be in a major market, if you don't need to be in a place that is necessarily, uh, 
hockey obsessed like Calgary is, you know, but at the same time, he said that he loved playing here, you know, that he, uh, that he always loved playing here, was impressed by the crowd, all that, like all-star he, videos, reactions to the contrary, but <laughs> yeah, you know, he's had joked about having to get used to the Canada river, but you know, uh, I, you know, I remember that night, uh, the signing, I thought like, I want to hear what we had to say to pitch him on coming to the jackets. But that doesn't sound like we had to say anything. We didn't have to say anything. And it sounds like he didn't even do that much research on the roster itself. I think he knew we had some good players here. You know, obviously familiar with Wierenski and Line and guys like that. But it was really just about Columbus being a place that seemed like a comfortable spot to live and play for the next seven years. Uh, and that's all. That's really freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, and I and it's and it's got to be kind of nice for him from a media pressure standpoint that I don't think Marshall McPeak is going to be taking shots at him on the morning news <laughs> like the Calgary weathermen were. Yeah, although I did appreciate the way that uh, that guy kind of steered into it, and there was a back and forth with him and uh, that in Channel Six in terms of you know jokingly offering him a position here and uh, and all that. So that was that was pretty fun. So, as we referenced, there was another signing on Free Agency Day. The first signing they made was Eric Goodbranson. He's a defenseman who's been around the league a long time. He's bounced around a lot of teams. He was most recently with Calgary, where he actually had a surprisingly productive season by his standards. Uh, Sheltered minutes on the third pair there with Nikita Zadorov. Um, But he signed a four-year, $4 million AAV contract which um, I, there's no way to sugarcoat. This is a bad contract. Not saying that he's you know he's a good dude. I think he can be a useful player given the right deployment, but not worth either that term or that cap it. Let alone both that term and that cap it. Yeah, I initially when I saw this contract was reported. And they said it was like four years, $4 million. I thought it was four years with $1 million <laughs> per year. And which, which, you know, which the term yeah. sucks, but I can, I can eat that. Right. Then when it's, when it was, no, it's four years and $4 million AAV, it instantly became one of the, like this contract, make no mistake, is a buyout candidate next summer. It is. It is that bad. It was an awful contract the minute Penn hit paper. He was among one of the worst defensemen rated in hockey last year. I believe Jay Fresh um, on Twitter had him at like a 3% wins above replacement among defensemen last year. And as you mentioned, last year was a surprisingly, for him, productive season offensively. He played a lot of sheltered minutes. Now, granted, he played... He averaged like 18 minutes a night over in Calgary, but he's not good. He's not really been good for very long, but he's big and physical, which I, which Yarmo said, that's what our defense needs. I slightly disagree. I think our defense needs more players who play defense. And it's not clear that Eric Goodbranson does that. Um, But he's so I, this is not to slight the person of Eric Goodbranson. This is not to slight him for getting his money. I'm, if he, I mean, someone offered me $4 million a year to get out there on <laughs> and suck, I'd do it. But <laughs> I, 
don't think this is something that the front office should have done. It certainly should not have been, as Yarmo said, their number one priority in free agency. That is just a criminal roster building mistake. This is the kind of mistake that bad teams make that hampers them going forward and could cost you good roster players as a result of not having cap space. And it Ooh, may foreshadowing. have foreshadowing. Yeah. It's spoiler alert. We're going to get into who it might have, who it probably cost them shortly. It's just, it's a very bad contract. It's going to hurt the team going forward. And I would not be surprised to see it bought out. Yeah. So I can understand the logic of wanting to bring in a veteran defenseman, and one who brings that size and physicality. I don't understand why it had to be Goodbranson. Uh, There are other defensemen like him out there. There was no need to spend such a premium on him. It felt like the four years was the only way they could guarantee that they could sign him, you know, that the four years is kind of the clincher there, because this is a guy that said that he's bounced around a lot of teams in recent years. So having the, the stability of being in one place for a while appealed to him, which I totally get. But from the team standpoint, I just don't know why you needed to give that much term to a guy who, to me, seems incredibly replaceable. And I could understand wanting the short-term impact of him, but if you look at the right side of our defense, um, we have Andrew Peak, we have Nick Blankenberg, we have Adam Boquist, we have Corson Kulamans, who we drafted last year. We have David Yurichek, who we drafted this year. Like, these are all young defensemen who we would expect to all be NHLers within two to three years, at which point Gabrenson will still be under contract. Like, what, what, what is, how does this all fit together? The internal logic just does not make sense to me. I would take three, if not four, of those defensemen over Goodbranson right now, and I'm including Kuhlman's in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just it it doesn't make sense from a roster building standpoint. Like this is a god awful contract that you are. It, mark, mark, mark my words here. This team will buy out or pay someone to take in the next couple years. Like he will not see all four years in this. Well, wait. Yeah. I lied. He also has a partial no trade clause. Remember? Remember that? Yep. Well, because yeah. why wouldn't he? So even before the Goudreau signing happened, I you know I, I hated this, this deal, and I felt that certainly at very least the fourth year would get bought out. Um, because you know at that point, like you can't at that at four million dollars, you can't park that cap hit in Cleveland. Like some of that cap, it's going to remain on there, even if you send him down to Cleveland. You're, you know, you're not going to want to spend four million dollars on a guy that is sitting in the press box. You know, at least with Scott Harrington, you know, three years was too long to give him as a contract, but he was making like what one point five. Okay, that's an easy thing to park. That's a cap hit you can bury. Not a big deal. But four million is just it's too much to do that. Um, so yeah, that's just. Ugh. And trade protection. I don't. I don't understand this yeah. massive investment in a bad defenseman when our defensive. You know, three years ago, our defensive pool was trash. You can right. that's you can say that, and you know, maybe you, then you can sign this deal. Right now, after the moves we've made the last couple, the last year or so, including you know Kuhlman's and the two guys we drafted this year, uh, Andrew Peak, Nick signing, picking Nick Blankenberg out of yeah. nowhere, and him being something like this. This deal just didn't need to be made, and that it, it 
it's very frustrating. And yeah, Yarmo Yarmo swooped in and signed Johnny Gaudreau when the option was there, but this Gaudreau fell into his lap. This yep. was a decision, and that is more concerning to me. Yep, yep. And uh, after this break, we will get into the ramifications of that. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. First, before we get into the uh, bad news about the cap space, first we'll get into the last bit of good news that happened in the offseason here. What we were long awaiting for, the Patrick Line extension. It got done. Line is signed for four more years at a annual cap hit of $8.7 million. Uh, honestly, this came in uh, a little bit shorter and a little bit higher than I expected. Uh, are you, uh, are you happy with this deal? Uh, tell you what, Patrick line, better, uh, play a little more defense, play a little more 200 foot game this year. Cause uh, all, all eyes are going to be on him. Um, it's a good deal for the player. Certainly he, um, he gets, a, he gets a little more money than probably he, than any of us were expecting. Certainly us in the slack were predicting somewhere around eight, maybe eight and a half on the high end. He came, came yeah. in a little over that. Um, it's a good deal for the player also because it's only four years. He'll he'll be 28 when the deal ends. Um, still still able to cash in on a long-term deal. Uh, all like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, what those guys are doing coming in on that short-term deal. Um, I guess a good deal for the team as well. Um, in so much as if Patrick Laine does continue to be streaky, continue to be um, inconsistent on a night, night-to-night basis, uh, it's not like it's the. It's not like you're tied to him for seven, eight years. Um, so you know, you live and you live. You'll you'll take that, I guess, as as a as the team. Uh, probably a little higher than you wanted, but you know, he he is a proven fifty goal scorer. He's done that before, and Columbus traditionally can't score goals. Um, I as far as whether or not I think this deal is good, Patrick Line is elite at exactly one thing in the NHL. Now, it's the one thing you want to be elite at. It's exactly. putting the puck in the net. 
but my man, you got to round out your game a little bit, you know. Cam Atkinson was known as a finisher when John Tortorella showed up, and that's all he could do. But he kind of rounded out his game and was even killing penalties. Patrick Line, I do not expect you to kill penalties, but no. I don't want to see you looking like your controller got swapped out in the middle of <laughs> a defensive shift. Like, I want to at least see some effort, some forecheck. You know, you're a big dude with some size and some speed. Use that physicality. You know, and I want to. I don't really want to see 10-game pointless droughts 10 game droughts where you don't score goals where you take you know five game stretches where you take three shots total like we can't you're getting paid now you can't do that because the you're you're under the gun now it's time to produce consistently yeah uh and and, you know he you know has gone through some some tough times in recent years obviously some things weren't fitting in winnipeg and and there were frustrations with his production there but he had put before that had put together some Really, really great seasons there as a young player. Lots of points. Um, you know, he had the maybe some issues adjusting to Columbus uh, with you know COVID restrictions and Tortorella and all that. Uh, and then you know last year he had the injury and he had his father's passing. Uh, but once he was able to set those aside, then he was able to have a really productive couple months there um, in February and, and March of uh, of this year. So I think the potential is there. Again, that is an elite shot. And I think it is worth investing in players that have elite skills, which he does. Uh, I also think that he's set up now to play with Johnny Goudreau, who's a hundred point guy. So Goudreau is great as a playmaking wing who can feed his teammates. And line a is a guy who, if he gets fed, he can put the puck in the net from anywhere on the ice. So uh, do you think that line a and Goudreau should be line mates? going forward? I haven't really dove into breakdowns of play styles and, you know, mm-hmm. wowies and stuff. I haven't really dove into that. That's kind of going to be more of a closer to the preseason thing because we don't, we still don't know if Yarm was going to make any more moves. Right. But, um, Guts says I would like to, I, th- I mean, we're going to see it. Regardless of whether I want to see it or not, we're going to see it. Probably opening night, we're going to see something like a Sillinger or a a Jenner line a Goudreau first line mm-hmm. opening night against Tampa. Like that, I I could pencil, I can write that in pen right now. Um, I think I would like to see. I want to see it for a while just to see if Goudreau can open space for line a because mm-hmm. Goudreau is. Not not only is he a great finisher, you know, forty goal scorer, he's an elite playmaker, as you say. He is more of a two hundred foot forward than yep. Line a is, and he is a ex- like I've I can't tell you how many 10, 15 minute highlights of Johnny Gaudreau I've watched <laughs> in the last two weeks because it's a lot. Yeah, that dude is an elite skater. Yes, that dude is a silky skater, and I want to see how his skating opens up lanes for Line a. And if they if that works, you might be able to get away with not having to play a super defensive center like Jenner in between them. You right. might be able to get away with playing someone who can develop into a very good center, i.e., a Cole Sellinger in that in that yep. spot, and that would be ideal. But I think we're going to see Jenner in that spot to start because he is the he was a twenty goal scorer last year, longtime captain or longtime blue jacket and he is defensively responsible where Patrick line. just is not sure. So 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think certainly we, we can get those guys on the ice at the same time in the power play, probably with Vora check out there as well. Just a lot of guys that are really great at moving the puck and can shoot the puck. Um, that could be, if we can get the power play uh, going at a higher rate than it was last year, that would be huge. I have. It, I don't ever want to hear the words. I don't ever want to hear any excuses for why the power play is bad anymore. Your top <laughs> power play unit has Jenner, who I have qualms about, but that dude plays a net front yeah. presence great. You have Voracek, Line A, Goudreau, Orensky. That power play should not be 12% in December. I don't want to hear that excuse. And if it is, I, I want to hear people asking questions because that just, with that talent on that power play, you should not have that issue. Yeah. Well, and I do think that the power play had its moments last year and generally it was when the top players were on it together. When it had its struggles, it was when either line A was out or Wawrenski was out. But if those guys were in generally, it was doing a lot better. So I want to see that um, continue obviously with, adding Goudreau into that mix as well. Um, so now the the final big change, because with the signing of Line A on Friday afternoon, that put the Jackets well over the cap, and so they had to make a move, and the move they made was trading Oliver Bjorkstrand to Seattle in exchange for a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick next year. Now, neither is Seattle's pick. The third-round pick is Calgary's pick. The fourth-round pick is the... Winnipeg pick. Uh, so uh, um, I understood trading a player like that as much as I loved that player. Um, I thought if you traded him, it's because he has the most value. So I thought that this return was very, very underwhelming. But what Yarmo said was that it was the best of a bunch of no good options. Um, do you think he's telling the truth there that that was the best offer that he got. I think it is the best offer he got in the respect that the teams, there are so few teams right now that have cap space to take on a contract to help a team out like Columbus, who was capped out. Right. They, there are so few teams that they were able to, set their own market and kind of hold these other teams hostage. What I am assuming happened here. Now I I don't know this for a fact. I'm not reporting this. I'm just speculating, but I have a hunch. I'm correct. Is that Yarmo was not going to pay someone like a first or a second round Mm -hmm. pick to take a Gus Nyquist there. He just wasn't going to do that because he values his picks and once and might want to save that to package it for something else or Mm -hmm. who knows. So, then you begin looking at the roster and who can you shop to actually bring in a return. Obviously, the next candidate there is Oliver Bjorkstrand, who is a proven winger in the NHL, one of the better two-way forwards in the game, a a very good finisher, very good skater, very good playmaker in his own right, signed to a good deal with a manageable cap hit for term. That's something that a lot of teams would want, but how much are they willing to pay to take that, to get that and help another team out? And I'm, so I think if you are not willing to pay someone to take a player, then this was probably the best return you were going to get for just basically giving someone away. Like we, we need the cap space. Please give us something for Mm -hmm. this. And so 
they were never going to get fair value for him. They didn't get. They got maybe ten cents on the dollar for Oliver mm-hmm. Bjorkstrand, uh, the team's leading scorer last year. Yep. Um, team's leading scorer for several seasons now. Yeah. It's it's. I'm very sad to lose him. I think he. I. This is where, as as mentioned earlier, signing Erica Branson is absolutely terrible because without that Good Branson deal, you know, you know, all you got to do is get rid of some one other you know, mediocre contract rather than get rid of a top six, a bona fide top six winger on the team. Like this, this, this really hurts and there is no sugarcoating it. Like this, this is a crappy return on a trade that you wouldn't have really had to make. Had you not capped yourself out with a stupid signing on the first day of free agency. Yeah. And what Seattle did is this weaponizing of cap space, which Yarmo has talked a lot about for the last few years, but he has never made a move like this to pick up a low-key great player like that for a pretty reasonable exchange. Um, instead, he's the one having to, um, you know, make that uncomfortable move. Um, now, you know, to his credit, he had the cap, you know, he made the cap space so that we were able to make the offer to get Goudreau. So he deserves credit for that. But making the offer for Goudreau and then paying what you had to pay to hold on to line A meant that you had to give up a good forward, whether it was going to be Bjorkstrand or Nyquist. Um, and I, I would have obviously much preferred to get rid of Nyquist at this point. Now, I would not have wanted to give up a first-round pick in 2023 because I think that's going to that's going to be a really good draft. It's going to be a really deep draft and I don't think this is a playoff team yet. And so if we're going to be picking in the top 16 again, uh you know, I'd want to have that pick because that would be another great young player to add to the core in 2 to 3 years. So I wouldn't want to give that up just for the cap space. Um and with Nyquist being on a, an expiring contract, one advantage to that is that um, if we are not in a playoff position at the deadline, he can be traded then. And I think he would get a good return then because the cap hit isn't going to matter as much then. And teams that want to add forward depth would be willing to give up potentially a late first round pick for him at the deadline. So in that case, trading Bjork strand now holding on to Nyquist, trading him later um, could end up getting us, more assets in return than if we had to pay to move Nyquist now. And then we're going to have to make another move next summer to again, fit under the cap again, because of also having that 4 million invested in good Branson, which, you know, is, is what it is. It just really hurts that like signing good Branson was an objectively terrible thing. Like, yeah. I wish this team would pay me a hundred grand a year so I could just tell them three different times at any point in the season. That's stupid. Don't do it. Just don't do that. Yeah. Just do, do not do literally anything else, but that. And the good Branson deal was, would have been one of them because then you probably could hang on to Oliver Bjorkstrand. Now, what also stings is they did this an hour after the line, a signing, which kind of took some of the sting out of that. Yeah. But also what I was thinking, what I've really thought about is, as we mentioned, line A, line A is an elite shooter. Yep. I think Bjorkstrand is the better hockey player. 
Like he is a like he is better at more. He is better and more consistent at many things. He is a he is a very good finisher. He is not an elite finisher, but he can play defense. He is a very good two hundred foot two hundred foot forward. He is very good at suppressing shots. He's very good at generating shots. He's very good at playmaking, and it sucks to we. It's kind of frustrating to have signed a very bad defenseman and a one trick pony and lose out on a very, very good forward who could play capably in most top six in the league outside of like Tampa or Colorado. It's, it really is frustrating to lose that player, especially when they can do so much and did so much like Bjorkstrand, but he was a very, he was a very capable forward who did a lot for you. Um, and that the organization invested a lot in it and they sold extremely low on because of bad cap management elsewhere when they had been so careful to manage the cap over the last 18 months. Yeah. And that is just frustrating to see happen. And I would say it hurts, you know, trading Cam Atkinson last year and Bjorkstrand this year because both these guys were day two picks, undersized forwards who developed their game a lot in the organization to become, you know, key players for the team to become alternate captains for the team to be guys that committed long-term to the team rather than test the market. Um, and for all the talk a few years back of loyalty, this team traded those guys right away when they, when they felt they had to. Um, and, and that's, I don't know. It just feels kind of, kind of cheap. Now, as to the the matter of Line A versus Bjorkstrand, as much as I love Bjorkstrand, and I do think he's a very good player, and I think he's a very underrated player, he is good at everything. I don't know that he is great at any one thing, whereas Line A does have that elite shot, and Line A is bigger, and Line A is three years younger, and this team is not competing for a cup this year. I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think they're two to three years away. And I think that in two to three years that line a will be more effective at that point than Bjorkstrand will be um, just given their, their aging curves at that point. Now Bjorkstrand might still be the better value because of his um, cap hit being what 3.3 million less. But I think in terms of a high end player, and we've seen that the teams that win the cup have several high-end players. And Bjorkstrand is a complimentary piece on a great team. Liney is the type of player that can make a great team a great team because, again, he has that ability to create shots out of nothing and create goals out of nothing. He also has an elite ability to be a defensive liability. So maybe, but if, if he's spending most of his time in the offensive zone, if the team has the puck, which that's, you know, when you're talking about playing the defensive zone, that's one thing, but you know, having a guy like Goudreau is a guy who, when you have him on the ice, your team's probably going to have the puck. And when your team has the puck, you can get it to a guy like line a, and he's going to score with it. So all of that is true, but we haven't, we haven't seen line a be on an elite team. We haven't seen him carry a team really as a goal scorer. And I, I am just wary of committing so long to a guy whose only elite skill is finishing and nothing else. He, like he's not even a very good skater, if you ask me. Oh, he's he's not bad. He's I mean, he's, 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 he's fine. He's fine. It, he doesn't necessarily look 
because he looks a little, he's got the long limbs and everything, but, you know, he moves down the ice pretty quickly. Um, again, I'd like to see him use his size more to battle for the puck. Um, like, we, you know, Panarin was an undersized guy, but he always fought for the puck. I want to see a little bit more out of that from line A, but mostly I want to see him shoot the puck as much as he can because he's got a great yeah. shot. And the more shots he gets on that, the more of them that are going to go in. And, and, and that's a useful tool, tool to have. Yeah. I, I also, I, so I think this is a big year for line A also given all these moves. Um, I just want to touch on this real quick. I think this is a big year for Brad Larson. Yep. Um, kind of puts him under the gun here. You've got elite. You've got a, you've got a heart candidate in Johnny Gaudreau. You've got an elite finisher in Patrick line. A you've got some, you know, you've got some new pieces here. You got to, you got to figure out a way to make the forwards mesh. You got to fix the defense somehow, no matter what you do, you have to fix the defensive system and you have to get goaltending. Right. I right. think, the, you know, I don't expect them to make the playoffs. It'd be really nice if they did, you know, kind of, or at least be in the race late in the season. But this is a big year for the coaching staff because you have to show that you like can get your stuff together. Like you have to have to show that you can get your stuff together. Right. Because the clock is ticking now with the talent that they've added and the talent they've locked in, you know, this can't be a five-year rebuild. This has to be like, Oh, we need, this team needs to be contending in two to three years. Yeah, this this team, you know, should be on the if they don't make the playoffs this year, they should be on the precipice. Next year they should be in the playoffs, and two years from now they should be winning series. You are under the gun. Well, and I can see the team playing better this year and having roughly the same record as last year just because of how tough the East is. But if you still see signs of growth, then that in 23, 24, that's when the team takes a big leap from being a mid 80 point team to a hundred point team, which is, which is doable. We see teams make that leap yeah. and I think they can do that. Yeah. So this, this is a big year for development. This is a big year for coaching. And I am going to be sitting high in my perch in two thirteen, watching systems on the ice and just picking it apart all year, because that is where I think a lot of, we're going to have to see what coaching is done this year. Yep. And I, I just wish it was October already because <laughs> I really want to see these new players in action. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to spend a lot of time at training camp this fall. So, yep, absolutely. All right, that'll do it for us this week. Catch you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPurley.com for more music and show dates.